And so I want to draw your attention there to verse number 5, where we read, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourged every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof are ye all partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. So the title of the sermon is seen as it's saints in the hands of an angry God. The verse here is a, is a quotation. He quoted it back from Proverbs 11 and 12 where we read, My son despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. So what I want to focus on is, um, is going against this false straw man argument that is, that is pit on us whenever we teach someone about eternal security or, um, once saved, always saved. Would say, you know, if, if you believe that your salvation is secure, you can never lose it, then you're teaching people to sin. You're teaching people to have a license to sin, and, but that, that's completely wrong. That's a straw man argument. We don't believe that. Now, we preach hard against sin. We, we preach against it. We preach specifically specific sins. But when we're out preaching the gospel, we're preaching, you know, salvation is through Christ. Salvation is faith alone, in Christ alone, and it's forever. It's an eternal gift that lasts forever. And that's, that's what I want to focus on. And what I want to do is, is preach specifically about, about our our attitude towards sin and how God feels towards the sin and specifically of saints. That's why it's saints. The, I, I took this title. I stole it from somebody else's sermon, but that sermon was more of an evangelistic type sermon. Uh, if you turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, I want to look at something real quick. Where I stole the title from another sermon, but even those words are actually in, in, the, in the Bible. Turn back over to Hebrews chapter 10 for, for a minute. Now, if... Um, Starting in verse number four. So we believe, you know, once you're saved, you can never lose it. It's, it's a clear doctrine from the book of Hebrews. So I, I've talked before of my frustration with people when they're out soul winning and they bring up the book of Hebrews to try to prove, you know, you can lose your salvation. And I, I forgot I was going to bring, I got this little bat that I got at the White Sox Stadium. So to illustrate how frustrated, you know, you feel just beating someone in the head and, with the book of Hebrews whenever they bring up any, any kind of thing saying, you know what, you can lose your salvation or you're teaching people to sin. Like when you read the book of Hebrews, it's so clear. It's so clear and it's just, you just want to hit him over the head and just wake him up because it's, it's, uh, it's a shame. Starting with verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. So it's pretty clear that the sacrifices that they had in the Old Testament, none of them took away sins. It was a picture. It was something that was conditioned. I'm mean, getting ready for Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate payment for our sins. And they did that. And it's shown here in the book of Hebrews how none of that was was worthy of forgiving someone of the sin. It just showed them that they that they had that sin. And we uh we talk about how uh frustrated we are with people that teach that, pastors. And I remember because um, I, I I brought up a lot of bad examples, frustrations with, with heretics trying to trying to deal with them. So I wanted to bring up an example of, of a good experience. So I remember when we were soul winning over in in, uh, in Oregon, I ran into a pastor. I think he was a non denominational church. I know I still went through, you know, I asked him, are you, or do you know for sure you were, that you if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven? And he he said yes. And I asked him, you know, following up, you know, what do you believe it takes for somebody to get saved? And he said, you know, you have to believe it to repent of your sins. You know, he he went through that whole whole thing. And I asked him, you know, what do you so what do you mean when you say repent? Like, do you mean somebody has to stop sinning? Do they have to like ask for forgiveness for everything, and do they have to keep it? And he said, no, it's just acknowledging you're a sinner and asking Jesus to forgive you for sin. So it was pretty clear. He, he used the he used that verbiage, but when you asked him to clarify it, he he explained it pretty good. And I asked him, you know, do you believe that you could lose your salvation? That's the, the next follow up question. And he said, no, but I used to. But then when I when I finally realized 
what the book of Hebrews taught in context, I, I corrected it. You know, I used to believe you could lose your salvation, but then once I realized, you know, the book of Hebrews isn't really teaching that, then he said, yeah, I, I was clarified. So it was, it was a good encouragement, encouraging uh, conversation to where, you know, there are people that see the truth. Maybe they were wrong, and they saw it, and they corrected it, and they, and they kept on preaching. So I was encouraged to hear that, because we hear a lot of bad examples. You know, we, we, we talk about the frustrations with that. So it was, it was really encouraging. Now, in verse number 17 says, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Nor where remission of these is, there is no more an offering for sin. So another verse that's pretty clear right there, our sins are forgiven. God's not going to remember them anymore. We confess them, He forgives us, and it, it's gone. It's a, it's, it's a clean, we're wiped clean. Like as far as our, and our bodies, we know we're never going to be 100% perfect as long as we have these bodies. But we're looking forward, that blessed hope, that new body that we're going to get. But in God's eyes, we're righteous. In God's eyes, we have no sin. In God's eyes, the blood of Jesus Christ covered everything, and they're, they're gone forever. So says, now where their remission is, there is no more an offering for sin. So there is no more offerings. Jesus Christ died once and for all. That's why when, when people try to bring up uh, Hebrews chapter 6 about, you know, if you trample the, the blood of Christ or if you, if, you, uh, if you go on to sin, then you're going to need another sacrifice, but that's not possible. It's here that he died once and for all. They're taking that out of context. They, go, they isolate chapter 6, ignoring chapter 10 to try to try to make it contradict itself, but it's not. It's one whole book. It's one whole thought. It's one whole doctrine, so you can't just do that, and that's where they fail. That's where they, they, they're, they're wrong. They'll try to pin you down with that, but we know that's, that's wrong. Verse number 26 in Hebrews 10 is another one that I'll bring up to try to try to tell you you could lose your salvation. Or it's, uh, it says, For if we sin willfully, that after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. So they, they try to come here and say, you know what, if, if you're sinning afterwards, you know, like I said, they'll say, you need another sacrifice. Or they'll probably use that to try to say, you know, if I'll try to make up for the bad deeds with some good deeds. But that's, that's not what it's talking about. Saints, saints who sin when they know that, that it's wrong, like they willingly do it, they're going to get chastened by God. We just saw it in Hebrews chapter 12. A loving father chasteneth a son. So that's what it's talking about there. You know, you can't barter with God. You can't barter some good deeds with some bad deeds and try to do that. No, it's, if you, if you willingly choose to disobey your father, your father will chasten you. Another illustration that I learned recently, like when you're explaining to someone, I explained it to a child. Like it's, it's such a good example that even a child can understand it. Because I was talking to this, this young boy, he was about eight years old, and he said he wasn't sure if uh, he'd gone to some Pentecostal churches, had some, some bad bad ideas, and he, like, he said, "No, I, I need to behave. You know, I have to be a good person in order to get to heaven. God, God's got to. I have to confess everything to God." And I told him because he said, "No, you, you could lose it if you if you misbehave." So I asked him, you know, if when you were born and you became your your the son of your father. So, like, when we believe on Christ, we become a child of God. We're born into his family. Let me tell you, so you have a, a dad. If you misbehave, does your dad stop being your dad? And he said, no. So exactly, it's the exact same way. Just because we misbehave, we're not, God doesn't stop being our father. He's a loving father here in Hebrews 12, specifically. I, I, I've started bringing that 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 verse in Hebrews 12, part, as part of my gospel presentation, once I once I finish explaining the gospel, you know, because people are going to come to him. You know, a lot of people have family that are probably in some cult, or they'll bring. Oh no, but if you sin, you know, you're going to lose it. Yeah, you got saved, but watch watch your mouth. You know, watch watch what you're doing because God's God's going to take that salvation away. Well, no, you just bring it up right, explain it clearly. You know what? He's our Father forever, and if we choose willingly which we still are capable in our bodies to sin, he will chasten you. We can't ignore that. That's why we say that that, that false straw man argument that we preach uh, license to sin is wrong. We clearly teach that God will chasten you for, for what you do. 
Jesus died once and for all. So we don't we don't put him back on the cross because Catholics do that when the, when they do the, the Eucharist. It's almost like they're saying that they're that that um, that wafer is almost like the physical body of Christ, and he's getting sacrificed every time as 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 he physically did back two thousand years ago. No, it's done. It was physically done two thousand years ago. That's what they have. That's what they have him up on a crucifix as a as a as, as an idol, and, it, and it's wicked because he was, he's not on the cross anymore. Amen. He died and he rose again, and he's triumphantly up in heaven. So we don't need that. That's that's why they have that there because their whole belief is that every time they take that Eucharist, they're sacrificing Christ again because they need forgiveness of their sins because they keep sinning. But no, they're misunderstanding the Book of Hebrews specifically, where he died once, he's for all, and we're saved, and we're saved eternally. Now, turn over to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at a verse. I'll read for you verse number 31 here in Hebrews 10. It says, For it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So the title, Saints, of uh, saints in the hands of an angry God. It's similar to that verse there in, chapter, in verse number 31, chapter 10. But in Romans chapter 6, verse 15, we read, What then shall we sin, because we are not under the law? But under grace, God forbid. I didn't look this up. I thought about looking it up. You know, what does forbid mean in the Greek? But it's, it probably means don't do it. <laughs> it says, God forbid. God doesn't want you to do it. It's pretty clear. So we can't say that because we're, we're free from the law, then that we're free to just sin. No, there's still consequences. Like we saw there in Hebrews 10, yet we're not under the law. The sacrifices are all done away with, and they're not going to clean you of any sins at all. Jesus died once, and, and it's over with. So that title of the sermon... Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was from a, a pastor named Jonathan Edwards. I quoted him in a sermon not too long ago. I'm not, I'm not promoting him. I'm saying he's a, he's a good guy. I, just, I, remember, I remember that title. So Jonathan Edwards is just a historical person here in the United States. He's pretty popular. He, he, was, uh, he, he took part in the first awakening. It was like a spiritual awakening, people kind of trying to go back to God, go back to church. This happened in the, or like the middle of the 1700s, right before the American Revolution. So he, he preached this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and it was more... His sermon was more towards like being evangelistic, towards getting people to, to get saved. There were people there, and I'm sure he, he, was a, he was a Puritan, he's a Congregationalist, he's a Calvinist, so I'm sure there's things he believed that we wouldn't agree with and had, had in part to do with what he was preaching. But just so you know that I'm not saying that he's a good guy just because of this. So He, he considered himself um, a man of science, and when the smallpox epidemic was happening, he, he wanted to prove a point, so he went and got, got, the, got the shot, got the, got the jab for the smallpox, and that's how he died. Wow. So, so don't, don't think that I think he's a good guy, because that's, that, that was not pretty good. <laughs> I'm just taking his, his sermon and, and applying it in a different way, because, yes, God does get angry at sin, and he is a loving father, and if we sin, he will chasten us. We can't. We don't have a license. We can't just go and just because we have the grace of God, abuse it and think we can go and do whatever we want. So turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're going to read a verse there because that was the text verse that he used when he preached his sermon, "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." And I'd say we could probably apply it for 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 a Christian. This this verse, this chapter, specifically talking about the nation of Israel. You know, the wicked Israelites, the departing from God going after false idols, you know, willingly sinning against God when he knew it was wrong. And in that, that chapter, verse number 35, we read, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them 
make haste. So he pointed out and he clearly talked about their foot shall slide in due time. Talk, due time, talking about the sinner. You know, they walk on slippery places. You know, they think they can teeter the line. You know, we, we see Christians too. They'll know what's good and what's wrong. And they'll, you know, how close can I get to the edge to, to do something wrong? You know, God, God will forgive me if I just, I'm just going to cross the line a little bit. Well, it says their foot shall slide in due time. If you want to play around in slippery places, you're going to slip. And what's going to happen, you're going to fall into, into God's judgment. It says for their dip, calamity is at hand. So you're playing with fire. Now, our God is a consuming fire. It shouldn't be playing around with that. And God proclaimed judgment on Israel for worshiping their false idols, for doing that thing. And uh, I was looking, I wasn't planning on, on going through what, what happened, but as I was listening to things and reading articles about, about Jonathan Edwards and what happened during the first, first uh, Great Awakening, it kinda, I kind of started thinking of what's going on today. It was, a, it was a really good parallel because, you know, we think of today, you know, 2021, how horrible society is. Or you think, you know, it's the worst time we've ever had, right? You look at it and you think, you know, in the past, it was probably better. That's kind of our first thought, you know. In early 1700s, they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have all these things. They have TikTok and all this stuff that people just promote wickedness. So we think, man, they must have had it good back then. But when you, when you look and read to what, what they thought was happening back then, they thought it was like the wickedest time of, 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 their, of ever. And one thing, too, is just go back to 2008. Remember when Obama got elected? They were, oh, it's over. It's going to be over. We're, we're done with. And every year, like, it seems to get worse and worse. And it just, the, the bar keeps getting pushed. And it was probably the same in every generation. But the part or what the reason that sparked this awakening is, people, you know, people wake up and say, you know, are you tired of it? To what point do you keep going with the same normal thing before you say, you know what? God does. God hates this. We need to turn around. We need to go back to God. We need to get get back into church. We need to get back to, to having a revival. We talk about revival. We talk about it. But what actually does it is somebody, is specific Christians getting on fire with God. His his appeal was more towards the people as far as like in the world. Now, there, that is one thing that is different than today. Like today, if we went out in the street, we wouldn't be able to gather a, a group of lost people to come and hear us. But in that time, they, they were able to do that. So they were able to, to get, a, get, a, get a group together and preach a sermon and preach a convicting sermon. People would gather and they would hear and they were interested in what they were saying. So that's why his sermon was more, more focused on sinners and getting them to turn from their sin and turn, for, turn, to, turn to Christ from what they were doing. So another thing related to the church, they were, they were tired of how people thought that because they were a member of a church, that made them Christians, or that made them holy. So that was their focus. And, and also the ministers. The ministers were apathetic. They were, uh, their job was mainly like a career. Like they, they just thought it was a job. You know, I'm just up here preaching a sermon. I'm not really, I'm not really trying to change anybody's hearts. I'm not really trying to get anybody to, to be convicted. And that kind of tugged on their hearts. They look at the society, and you see how the church or us affect society. Like we, we motivate them. That they look at us as to some people that are that are righteous. Now, if they look at us and see, well, you're just like the world. You know, you're doing exact same things. They're not going to feel bad. They're going to feel. They're going to say, you know what? They're just like me. So why should I even change? So that would be something similar that was happening back then. You know, and they had an influence in in the revolution that happened in the following uh, decades to come because the this awakening or this movement of of a Christian fervor, Christian revival, people trying to come back to God, turn back to God, get saved. It it went through the all thirteen colonies. So it was something that went through it. Now if there was something that if if we think of today, what would be a movement or something that would happen, it would have to be the entire country. But um I probably don't think it would happen. You know, our country's so divided, there's so different there's culture differences. 
And um, I don't think it'd be able to be that. I hope it would. Like I want, that's our desire that we'd, we'd be able to impact the entire country. But I think the more realistic thing would be like locally. Like we're in the Midwest. So I'm sure that we can get some people in the Midwest to kind of get on fire for God, influence them. They're here locally. We can see them face to face and, and, uh, and get, get, get a movement of God. Cause another thing too that, that was, uh, that was different back then is, they weren't used to like hard preaching. That was you think of fire and brimstone preaching. That's when it started, or that's when they brought it up. Another person that came with them was uh, was um, was Whitfield, and they were both going around preaching, and people weren't used to that. People didn't like that. They didn't like to be challenged. They just wanted to go to church, kind of sit and listen to messages, and and keep on going with their normal life. But as you look at society, it was having a bad impact. You know, you just you become stagnant. You know, you're not really on fire for God. You don't care about God. Society's going to get even worse. Just like they're just going to leave it alone. Nobody's nobody's telling them anything. And what was happening here, as as far as Christianity, the impact it had is Ben Franklin. Uh, he would go and listen to Whitfield. He would go and listen to his sermons. And one one thing he was quoted saying, like as to what was going on at this time with what was going on in in the nation, he said it seemed as if the the whole if all the world were gone religious so that one could not walk through the towns in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street. So that kind of paints a picture of what was going on, what were people doing, you know, everyone was singing hymns. Like imagine that today, like if you walk around seeing people that normally you'd hear cussing, just doing whatever, and now they're singing hymns, and they're like talking about how they want to go to church, where to go, that, that would be an awesome thing to see. And we would want that to happen. Now another thing too was, because uh, like we talked, we're not, we're not in line with the same beliefs that these people had. But after after all that happened, all it went through, it kind of fizzled out and kind of went back and forth. But one thing that they were divided in, because they, they knew that what they were doing was wrong, you know, just going to church, going through the motions. You know, they wanted a spiritual experience. They wanted to be real. They wanted to be a real Christian. They wanted to do things the, the right way. They, they realized, you know, then because these people believed in infant baptism. So if there had to be a person's own conviction person's own realization of sin and wanting god as an adult why would they need infant baptism so the result of this was the the baptist and the methodist became more prominent because people saw you know they were they're teaching better doctrine so that that it influenced or it, it it benefited them and after they went through that and after after the the revolution after all that you know people getting away people getting getting back to god and focusing on god there was the second great awakening because it had to happen again because like we see we saw it in the bible we see it in history we see it in the book of kings and chronicles that people get high on the highest you know they're righteous then they fall again they fall off so it, it's a cycle that keeps going on and on and it happened exactly there was another one a second great awakening that one was a little more a little more uh, liberal or more leaning towards the holiness and um a lot of the, the Adventists, you know, abstaining from vegetables. They went a little, they went a little weird in the, in the second one. But the thing that they saw that triggered them saying, you know, we need something to happen was the indis- was how the industry and the process, you know, was, was, uh, becoming like a, like the factory jobs and monotonous jobs and people were getting unhealthy and, and they were into drunkenness and prostitution was getting, getting promoted. So that fueled all that sin. That fueled the wickedness in society. And when I read that, I'm thinking that that's exactly what's going on today. You know, you, you have the big industry, big jobs, and people make a lot of money, and what does that do that just feeds onto the wickedness, feeds onto the sin, and feeds onto these vices, and it just keeps going on and on and on. So I believe we're almost in that same, in that same, that same place. But I don't see how we would be able to, just as a church, just motivate the entire, 
the entire country, the lost people. We could. I would like to see us. But the very first step is Christians. You know, we should not be apathetic. We should not fall into them. We should want to be righteous Christians and want to not just, like I said, not just teeter on the edge. You know, how, how much can I sin and just be on the edge? You know, walking on slippery places. That shouldn't be our first thought. That should be our uh, afterthought. You shouldn't even, you shouldn't even think about that. Like if you want to, if you want to be part of a church and want to motivate society in a good way, you should want to be righteous. Because we know that's what it's going to get impacted. Because if we're, if we backslide, the world's going to get even worse. And I believe that does influence that. And that's how we've gotten so far down the, down this deep pit of, of hell. Now I'll turn back over to Hebrews chapter 12. So we know the world wants revival. They want liberty. But you can't have liberty without morality. Because we see the Libertarian Party, you know, we want freedom, we want this. But they want to smoke weed, they want all these wicked things. They want to they want to take over the country, you know, want to do things. We got their AR-15s and an NIV. Like, you're not going to do anything with that. <laughs> NIV is not going to help you in any way. You want, you want, you want something. You want liberty, but you don't want the responsibility of it. Because you can't be free to just promote wickedness is obviously you can look at history and see that if you have that there it's not going to get any better we have to take care of that it first of all it starts in the house of god we know for sure we we get that and as as we get the house of god stronger and stronger we go out and reach reach the lost they were able to draw crowds to be able to hear the preaching but we know it's not that it's not that easy today so we get fed here we get preach heart sermons to motivate us to, to get, get better, get more righteous. And we go out and preach the gospel. We go out and tell them how to get saved. We don't go out and try to preach in the streets. And some people do it, and it may be effective, but I don't think it's really that effective. You're better just one-on-one having a conversation with somebody, one-on-one talking to them and dealing with them one-on-one with what they're dealing with, you know, what their struggles are. And um, like Brother Austin talked about, like some atheists, you know, you have to talk to them and see what, what exactly they're saying. One of the guys that came sewing in with us yesterday, he used to be an atheist, and he, he explained how the reason he was an atheist was because he had a wrong understanding of salvation. So when he heard a sermon ex- clearly explaining it, he, it clicked. Like, that's all it took. Like, he had a misunderstanding. It's not like, the, like he mentioned the people that they know the Bible, they know what it says, and there's people out there that say they're atheists, but they, they don't. Like, they just have a bad understanding. A lot of people reject God because they're taught wrong doctrine. If all you do is talk to them and explain to them, They'll be able to get it. It's simple, but that's but that's what it takes—a one-on-one personal conversation. In Hebrews chapter twelve, verse fourteen and fifteen, it says, "Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled." So, if, one, if we want to be righteous, if we want to promote righteousness in our church, and it'll affect society, what what are some of the sins that that we can battle with? I was trying to think about which what what to really talk about. I thought about me drinking. You know, sometimes people struggle with drinking. Last last Saturday on the Spanish service, I talked about drinking. It was it was half Spanish, half English. So if if you want to listen, to it, you can probably hear it. But 
pride would be one, right? Pride. It says, follow peace with all men. If you're proud, if you're stubborn, you're not going to be able to follow peace with all men. You're going to be button heads with people. You know, you, I want to be right. I want to be right. But that's one thing. It says, lest any, lest, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you. So you shouldn't be proud. Don't think, don't think you know everything. Because you're going to get bitter. You're going to get angry at your brother. And that's, that's not something that's good in a church. You got to stay humble. You know, don't think that nobody can teach you anything. And that's one thing that, that I believe we have that here. You know, we, we talk about different things, different doctors. We, we bounce stuff off each other. Nobody gets too proud to it. I'm right, you're wrong. And it's, it's, it's a bad, bad way. It's a bad thing to be. If you're not proud, if you're humble, we can, we can edify each other and help each other instead of bringing, bringing each other down. Because that's what pride will do. Pride will just bring people down, get you bitter, and it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good in the church. Next one, you're in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 16. It says, Let there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So the next sin that could probably creep into a church and hinder a church is uh, people shacking up or just divorce. I'm going to kind of combine them both together. I know last week my son accused somebody of shacking up. He, was, he doesn't know what he was talking about. He was just saying stuff. But he probably heard in the sermon. There was one time where he, he told my wife, You know, I know about drugs. I was like, What do you know about drugs? He said, I know about Mariana. <laughs> Mariana. I'm like, where'd you hear that? Oh, I heard her in a sermon. So at least it's good he's listening to sermons, but he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's, he's one of those pre-teens. And I don't have a teenager, but I hear teenagers are pretty tough. I grew up with, um, with a lot of those mean dogs. Everybody hates you know, Rottweilers, pit bulls. And if you have a male one, they, they always say you've got to be careful because they want to dominate you. So you've got to learn to, to put them in their place. So I'm assuming having a teenager is similar to that. You have a mean dog. He wants to. He wants to take over. You gotta. You gotta stand up, man up, and show him who's boss. So we'll see how it goes with with teenagers. Now people shacking up, thinking that it's okay, and that's that's from the world. And you think you can bring that in church? That's wrong. That's that's, that's bringing wickedness, and it doesn't help in any way what we're trying to do in a church. You know, like we said, we're trying to promote righteousness. And if we would, if we were to fall in that category. What do you think is going to happen in the world? They're going to get even more wicked. We, we already see that it's happening. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So divorce, you know, God hates divorce. God hates divorce, fornication. But how does, how does that happen? Like it just doesn't happen overnight. Like it just isn't, oh, one day I'm going to wake up and no, I want to leave my wife. It's not just all of a sudden. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, chapter 1, Now concerning the thing whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. I think it's pretty simple as that. Don't touch a woman. If you're not married, don't touch each other. Because, oh, it's okay, we're just holding hands. Oh, it's okay, we're just going to hug. Oh, it's okay, I'm just going to kiss her on the forehead. You just keep going and going. Like I said, you kind of walk in on slippery places. You're eventually you're going to fall. So there's no need for any of that. Same thing with a married person. You know, you're going to go hang, I'm going to hang out with this other lady from the church. You know, we're cool. We, we, we're, we have a lot of stuff. And you, you spend more and more and more time. You know, that's, that's dangerous. You think you're going to go and spend time with another, another female, especially if it's, if it's like, um, not around other people. Like you're out there, nobody, there's nothing accountable. What do you think people are going to think of that? So that's, that's, that's wicked. And that's how it starts. You know, just 
making excuses for little things here and there, it's wrong. You're gonna, you're putting yourself in a bad situation. You're putting the church in a bad situation. You're putting two marriages in a bad situation. You're putting kids in a bad situation. It's wicked. And we see just even in society, the people that know, don't know any better, they just go in their cycles of their parents cheat on each other. Now, my parents divorce and, and I, I didn't like any of that. Like, I didn't choose to be any of that. And so if, if I were to do that, why would I do that to my kids? So I'm just gonna keep on going the cycle. You know, my, my dad's, my mom's dad did the same thing. So, you know, you have, so three generations. So what's gonna happen next generation? The exact same thing. So how do we stop it? Somebody just steps, you gotta step your foot on the ground and say, you know what? No, I'm not gonna stop it. I'm gonna, I don't wanna do that. You're gonna fight against that and you're gonna take whatever precaution you need to, to not put yourself to be able to commit any of that. Now the next thing, uh, turn back to Hebrews chapter number 10. So what can help you to be a better Christian? Um, I talked to somebody recently, and he encouraged me, by the way, like he was having a hard time, like, accepting salvation, or like he, he said, he had a rough background, and he had, like, you know, I've done a lot of bad things, and I don't know if God can forgive me, and, and a lot of people are like that, and it could be pride that, that prevents somebody to do that, but what, what encouraged me is, see, like, people that, they don't want to be Christians because they know what a real Christian should do. And what they do is they don't know if they have the guts to be able to do it. And it seems bad, but for me it's encouraging because you know what? He knows what, what it should be. Not like the people that, you know, I'm a Christian, but then you're just going to slack off and just kind of be a, be a bad example. And the one thing that he was asking was about tithing. Now, I don't think we have a problem here with tithing. You know, sometimes people, like churches, will bring up tithing all the time because they want to buy new things, have a new building and do all that. But we don't really have that, that problem to where we ought to ask money every week because we, we need it. God, God blesses the people. And when I, when I talk to him about like tithing, I told him, I've always tithed, like I've, it, it's hard. Like he was like, yeah, it's hard, but you know, 10%, man, it's like I only make this much and you, you don't gotta look at it. Cause it is, the more you make, the more it's gonna scare you, you know, 10%, you just gotta know that, you know what? The, the, the rule of thumb somebody taught me and I learned is, you get 90%. That 10% belongs to God. Don't even look at it. Just write the check. Just give the money and don't even think about it. Because if you start thinking about it, it'll start going, oh man, it's a lot, you know what I could do with this much money and, but, but like he said, he wants to be a real Christian. And he was struggling with that because he, he knows what he should be doing. He doesn't know what he should, but it's, it is hard to be a Christian. It's easy to get saved. It's hard to try to be a, be a righteous Christian. And I, I kind of explained to him how I, I always tithe even when I was barely making any money, you know, $10, 12 an hour. I was still tithing. And you know what? We were never, like the Bible said, I never saw my seed begging bread. I never had any, anything to want. We, God always provided. And like I said here, God's always provided us. You know, we, we, we have what, what we need. You know, if we're faithful, if you're true, if your heart and your desire is to be a real Christian, to be right and to, to honor God, God will provide. He will bless. And it's manifested in many Christians' lives. So I kind of give them that testimony how I've never had that. And yes, it's rough. If you want to do it, you can do it, but you have to do it out of your willing heart. Cause it's, people can do it with a grudge and you can just do it with a grudge. And yes, you're obeying God, but, I believe God does want you to do it out of, out of the, the goodness of your heart where you are convicted. You want to do it, and that'll be more of a blessing to you instead of just, oh, I have to do it, and you're complaining, you're angry, you know, here's his money, and just throwing in an offering. And No, that's, you're being a bad example to your wife and to your kids if you're having that attitude. So in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So what helps us to be able to be real Christians, be zealous, is to be part of a church. I explained to him too that I was, I was in some bad churches to where, you know, I probably regret 
like giving them money, but I wasn't giving it to them. No, I, there was a there was a there was a church where the pastor was abusing the money and doing that. But you know what? I gave it as obedience to God. If he chose to misuse that, that's on him. He's going to suffer for that. So when you something that'll help you to not feel bad or not or help you in, in tithing is be part of a church that you are willing to support. Like I I have no problem giving money to the Liberty Baptist Church. We know we're using the money for right things, and we're out there promoting the gospel, preaching to people, going going in, in to different places to 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 preach. And also, we we take care of the kids here. You know, the kids love coming here. We have an environment to where they can have fun, and we have all these things. So, I don't feel bad giving money. I, I love. We should give more money. So, it's being a part of a church. When you're part of it, you don't regret what you're doing. Like I've had that, but like I said, it's if somebody misuses it, that's on them. It's not on you. You're giving it to God. You're obeying God. Now, let's look at verse number 31. So it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, you ask that question, you know, does God want to be angry with us? We know He does. We know He hates sin. And if we choose to do that, He is going to get angry. But that's not what He wants. He wants the best for us. God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be joyful. And like I said, using the example, the illustration of a parent and a child, like that's, who doesn't want their children to be happy? Like you see kids here running around. We love it when they're out there running around. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 33. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But God doesn't want you to be afraid. Turn over to Ezekiel 33, verse number 11. As you turn there, let me read for you Ezekiel 18, because it's repeated twice. Ezekiel 18, 32 says, For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God, whereof turn ye yourselves and, and live ye. And Ezekiel 33, verse 11, you, you should be there. It says, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his, from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, or for why will ye die, O house of Israel? So God has no pleasure in correcting. Like, we, like you, Brother Austin talked about spanking kids. You know, you, you don't do it because you just love to spank your kids. Like, you want them to be corrected. You want them to do good. You want them to, to reward them for doing good things, but, God is the same way. He doesn't want to, He will do it if He has to. Like if we choose to willingly sin and willingly disobey and be bad examples, He will correct us. He will chasten us. But that's not what His desire is for us to be good, for us to stop doing all that bad stuff. And I, I'm in closing now. But last last week Sunday, kind of what I I got a good illustration for the sermon. I was thinking about it. So after service last week, uh, I enjoyed seeing the kids playing in the room. You know, I walked over there and the. You think how much stuff we have that's like. We have toys, we have uh, ping pong table, all these things that kids would play with. But I went over there and, and Gabe and all the little, little kids were playing with the fan. They're having so much fun just playing with the fan. You know, they had like a paper cup in their face and they're just laughing and joking. It's like, it was enjoying. You think of just that simple enjoyment of toddlers, little kids, you know, playing with a fan, throwing stuff on it. It's, they weren't putting their fingers in there. I hope they weren't. But, but it's just seeing little kids have joy. Whenever you see that, just think that's what God wants for his children. He wants us to be happy. He doesn't want to be like, you know, this ogre out there just trying to uh, stop us from having parties and doing that, whatever that's called. He, he wants us to be happy. Turn over to Mark chapter 13. So the same way that we feel about kids, you know, seeing them happy, enjoying themselves. Remember, God wants that same thing for us. God has that same desire for us to have joy, to be happy, to, to just have that simple enjoyment. But as you grow up, temptation with sin having bad friends and bad, bad, bad thoughts and maybe getting out of church will lead you in a path astray. You walk in those slippery places where you think you can, you can teeter the edge of sin. Mark 13, verse 
Mark 10, verse 13, 14, and 15, and 16, it says, And they brought young children unto him, so he touched them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter the rim. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. So we see here if, as long as salvation is as easy as what a child can understand. And when you talk to people, that's, that's as simple as it is. In the same way, just like I said, you can't ever stop being your, your, your son's, uh, your son's, uh, or a child of your father just because you, you misbehave. God will correct you. But it's just as simple as that. You believe. A child can believe. A child can understand it. And that's how simple salvation is. And just like it's simple to receive it, it's just as simple that you can never lose it. God wants the best from us. He wants us to be happy. And another thing that, that um, thinking about this issue of being a zealous Christian, being a real Christian, having a desire, you know, I want to be real, I don't want to be fake, is Pastor talked about how when he, when he was changing doctors, you know, when he was transitioning over to the, the post-trip pre-wrath rapture and having friends that were trying to tell him, you know, you shouldn't do that, you know, you're going the wrong way. I like, I like his response, and it stuck with me. Because he asked him, you know, so, so you're telling me that I shouldn't preach a doctrine that I'm fully convinced of from reading this Bible. Like you're telling me not to preach what I believe, that I'm convinced, what I'm convicted of from the Bible. And the guy responds, no, you should, I don't, I'm not telling you that. Whatever you're convinced of, preach it. So it's the exact same thing. You think of, of sin, of people not living righteous lives. You know, are you really fully persuaded that God hates sin? Is that really what you're thinking? You know, are you really persuaded and you, do you really believe that God's going to chasten his sons that he, that he loves? Because that's what the Bible says. He says he will do it. So if maybe you're teetering on, you know, you, you think you can walk in those slippery places, you think you're going to get away, maybe you don't really believe that. Maybe it's not really convicting. Maybe you're not really, you don't really have it in your heart. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God is what the Bible says. So we should keep that in mind and know that, you know what, I shouldn't be playing around with it. Maybe um, I should know that God wants the best for me. He wants me to have joy. He wants me to, to be happy. And with that, you should be able to know that I want to be a, a real Christian. I want to be righteous. I want to be a good example to, to my friends here in church and to society, to, to have an impact. Not like people want to do it, you know, out, out in the world they think they're going to go and get liberty, but the liberty starts with being saved, being righteous, being on God's good side, and being righteous and wanting that revival. That revival starts in the house of God, and it goes from there. And we've seen it in history, we see it in the Bible, and it's pretty clear that we need to do it, and we need to step up and do that. And with that, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this message in the Bible that we can see. Thank you, Lord, for the, the book of Hebrews. Thank you that we're blessed to be able to. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for, for what we have there. We pray, Lord God, that anytime we run into people that want to want to contradict your word, that want to teach us heresy, and that, that you would give us the boldness and the clarity to be able to explain it. And we'd be able to find people that have a humble heart that want to hear the truth and want to learn it, and you would help us to be able to preach it to them clearly, Lord. Help us to, to have a safe way, bring our pastor back home safely. Amen.